Hey everybody, how you doing? This is Coffee Chug, and I'm here with episode 79 of Living on the Edge of Chaos podcast. And in this episode, I get to speak with Stephanie Richardson, which you may know from the Eat Right Teach website, Instagram, and Twitter, and everything else that she's part of. And this is a really powerful conversation for me for a couple reasons. One, I reached out to her as part of my declutter learning project, as someone had referenced some of her blog posts about how she declutters her classroom using the Marie Kondo method, uh, which is now an amazing Netflix series, if you haven't checked that out, about how to declutter your home. But as I reached out to her to have this conversation, I learned about another outstanding educator. Her energy for teaching and for her students is so contagious in this podcast. More importantly, even though we talk on a little bit about decluttering, we get to hear about what she's doing for her learning space, what she's learned from the Ron Clark Academy, and what she's doing to constantly make herself better. Her openness and her honesty of reflecting from people who are doing amazing work so she can be better, how she's constantly trying to reinvent her classroom, and the flexibility to allow student voice and agency to beams through so much in this podcast and this podcast was one of the most unexpected gifts that I've received in a long time from a simple communication suggestion from someone in the declutter learning group about declutter learning I have now been able to expand my horizons feel the energy from this passionate educator and build my network a little bit stronger in which I hope in return build your network. And by the time you listen to this podcast, I hope you go on her website. Her latest couple of blog posts have been simply phenomenal. I mean, she's back blogging and doing that kind of stuff on her blog again here for the new year. And so take a listen, reach out to her, check out her work. There's a ton here for you to go back and actually utilize and use in your classroom. Because as we know, the teacher voice is the most important voice, and hopefully this can be one more way for us to celebrate the amazing educators doing great work. Enjoy. Woke up at 6 o'clock in the morning, chilling with coffee mugs, me and coffee chugs. Talking education all across the nation, pushing boundaries, thinking innovation. Aaron Mauer, outside the box thinker, here to teach each and every teacher how to tinker. Living on the edge of chaos, born insane. Listening to coffee chugs like caffeine for the boring. One of the top teachers in Iowa, word is born. Here to show the world that there's more here than corn. Chaos. Hello everyone, how you doing? This is Coffee Chug, and we are back here with another episode of Living on the Edge of Chaos podcast, and I am here with another phenomenal educator that I found through word of mouth from another educator as we were learning to declutter our our classrooms, and uh, one of the educators in our Declutter Learning Challenge um, had linked a link to a a blog post from this um, pretty amazing educator, the more I kind of dive into her work, and and from there... um, She's doing just a lot of phenomenal things and, and lots of new things this year for her. So we want to spend some time in this episode diving into learning spaces and how to declutter, but even moving out even into more robust things that all educators are trying to wrap their heads around, um, especially this time of year um, as we draw in on the, uh, well, the winter months in Iowa anyways. It's it's already snow and cold here. So um, so let's dive into it. And, and, and Stephanie, if you could jump on in here and kind of introduce who you are, what you do, and just kind of, a, you know, the elevator pitch of, of what it is that, that you've got going on. 
Okay, great. Uh, well, hi, thank you so much for inviting me. My name is Stephanie Richardson, and I am a teacher in Southern Indiana. And um, uh, this is my ninth year in the field of education. For the last eight years, I have been teaching um, high school level, and then this year I transitioned to the middle school. So I am a proud literature and writing seventh grade teacher. Um, I have been inactively somewhat blogging for the last, uh, well, since 2012. So I, um, I like to talk about, I, I use it as a space to reflect on my own work. And then if somebody can find something that they can use along the way, then that's great. That's kind of what I'm hoping for. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I want to dive into like the learning space and some of the work that, that you have shared on your blog. But before we do that, you, you mentioned that you have uh, moved from high school to middle school. And so I know that anyone listening in is going to be intrigued by that because I know one of the things in education that we all face, right, is no matter where we teach, we're always like, gosh, if those teachers would just prepare them at the middle school or middle school teachers, if they would just do stuff in elementary or, you know, I mean, like we kind of have this like this, this mindset. I don't think it's intentional or meant to be malicious. And so as you've kind of gone down the, 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 the grade system from, from high school to middle school, um, how's that journey been, that transition? And what have been some like key aha like moments or things that, that you're like, oh, my gosh, because I taught middle school for four, 14 years and I find them to be an exciting bunch. And there's other people that go, you're just absolutely insane um, <laughs> that you would even think about that level. So um, how's that been going for you? I'm, I'm really intrigued by, by that transition there. Um, man, it's been, it's been a ride. I can definitely <laughs> say that. Uh, there were some things I had anticipated and some things I did not expect. Um, one of the things that I'd always heard to be true and I have found to be that way is my seventh graders are so enthusiastic. I love their energy that they bring to the room every day. High schoolers were often so oh man, we are way too cool for this. And so I didn't feel like I could be like my my goofy teacher self with my seventh graders, they will buy in to pretty much anything I throw their way and they will do it like wholeheartedly. So if you really want enthusiastic students, I cannot recommend middle school enough because they are in it. They're yeah. really all in. Um, as long as you get them on your side, they will go to the ends of the earth and work super hard and get really fascinated about what you're teaching. So I love the enthusiasm of middle school. That's a great thing about them. Yeah. I always said they're, they're, they're just little kids in, in big bodies, you know, like you see them and some yes. people get intimidated. I'm like, man, they're just really just, they're still kids, you know, uh, they're, don't let them fool you yet. You know? Um, yeah. yeah. Little and things go a long <laughs> way with incentivizing them. They love, you know, stickers or, Oh, if I'm stamping their paper, well, can I get a stamp on my hand? And, you know, <laughs> things like that. So they just, they are, you're so right. They're definitely kids and big bodies and they're just trying to figure out how to navigate the world. And it's been really fun. Um, working on figuring out how to coach them through some of that process because you coach a middle schooler differently than you coach a high schooler. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so as you've kind of moved into this, this new classroom and, and this new space, and when, when I reached out to you, we, we were, I was intrigued about like your decluttering process and probably you don't have as much to declutter in a new space, but how is your learning space or your, or your thought behind um, your classroom design and, and, and setup? Has it been the, been the same? Have you kept kind of the same kind of concepts you had in high school down the middle? Have you had to do things differently? What's, what's been, that, been that journey as you kind of had to pack up one room and then mm -hmm. unpack, 
you know, another room and doing it for a whole different group of kids. Right. How, how's that? What, what was that thought process like for you? So I switched districts. I actually moved further away um, because one of the beautiful things about my new school is they're very, um, I would say that they're very revolutionary about classroom design and they want you to do your own thing. So I came from an environment where it was desks in rows kind of thing, or sometimes you'd really get crazy and put them in groups of four and that sort of thing. And so now my new classroom, I have a choice seating. I've got a futon and I've got some bar height seats. I've got some regular groups of tables and chairs. I have some individual student desks too. Um, so that was that really changed a lot about my classroom. I was able to come up with just a totally different kind of design plan and how to make my room work. And it's much more flexible as far as like today, it's in a big circle because we did shared inquiry. I was able to just shuffle a couple of chairs and tables around and all of a sudden we had a big circle, which would have been impossible to do with 35 student desks that I had in my previous space. So, um, but the other thing about this space is you really have to make the storage count. So I use seating that doubles as storage. So I have a lot of ottomans that the kids can sit on and use as workspace. But if you open the ottoman, it's got, you know, extra supplies in it. Or um, I have one ottoman that's full of comic books and those kinds of things. So really finding the things in your classroom that can do double duty. I'm all about like, don't have one-off items. The only thing in your classroom that should do one job is the fire extinguisher. Everything else, I feel like you need to have things that can serve multiple purposes, either as a writing space or a sitting space or something else, a storage space, that kind of thing. So that was a big part of that transition. And But at the same time, it also had to be something that middle schoolers could handle. So that was really interesting. But a lot of that just has come down to teaching them my expectations. This is how we're going to keep this room. This is how this space is going to be. And we talked a lot at the beginning of the year about how this is our space. I want them to enjoy it, but I want them to also treat it with respect. And they actually kind of led the conversation on that about how they felt um, a place like this should be treated because they were just so excited about the way the room was and the way that a lot of care had been put into my classroom design. Um, I have a silent zone set up in my classroom. So they're really learning how to respect the silent zone versus the areas of the room where you're kind of more open to conversation. So um, it's just, it's been a really interesting process because I was able to take a lot of dreams I had about classroom design and make them a reality this year. And it's really been, it's been a learning experience for sure. It's been awesome. No, that's, that's great. And as you were talking, I think um, the first thought that came to my head was just, I think as so many people are trying to figure out, I mean, like flexible seating and more open space design, there's so many educators trying to figure out how to make that work, whether they have a budget of zero or their school's nice enough to give them some money or grants or whatever. And I think you hit on something that that's really vital that a lot of people overlook as they start to think about opening up that space is uh, with that typically does come a, a sacrifice of storage because you can't have everything. I mean, unless you, you do work in some amazing schools and there are some out there that kind of give you everything. Um, I know like in the spaces that, that I worked at in my school was an awesome school. 
the more you try to open up, I mean, something has to go, right? Like you just can't mm-hmm. say, I need, I need an extra 50 square feet of space for storage. It's not there. And so um, you talked about that dual purpose. And so how, how did you, you make that transition? Because you went from, sounds like, like two contrasting types of spaces. And so um, could you talk a little bit more? So like, how do you do your storage? And I love the idea of dual purpose. Uh, I, th- I think that's spot on, you know, like with the Ottomans and things like that. But I'm just thinking for that teacher that goes, okay, great, but I don't have Ottomans. What have been some like storage solutions that you've been able to use as you, it sounds like maybe you have not as much storage, but I mean, mm-hmm. you're gaining more in, in, in the long run. How have you been able to kind of manipulate your, your, your system that way? So I think the first thing is, like you said, I packed up a whole classroom and it was an enormous amount of stuff that I, even after I had thought that I had decluttered, it was still an enormous amount of stuff that then sat in my garage until I got into my new classroom. And I think I only brought back about half. Mm. I wound up going through stuff and saying, okay, what is really the essential things that I need to have? And this stuff, why am I keeping this stuff? I don't need these old, old student projects if I'm not going to do them anymore. Um, Or there were some things that I just had so many versions of, you know, and then I was not using. So I had, you know, I think I cleaned out 50 empty binders but I switched from a binder system years ago. Why do I still have 50 empty binders? Well, just in case, right? Yeah. Right, exactly. <laughs> and I think that is such a teacher mentality is I never know when I might need this, which is true. But I've also, I also kind of subscribe to the philosophy of, you know, if it's something that if I need it, I can very easily access that thing like a three ring binder. I, I don't need to be keeping that in my classroom. I can find somebody else who needs that more. So those 50 binders wound up going to our office for students who couldn't get school supplies, you know, for other classes that required binders. So a lot of the, my process was cutting out the unessential. I had to make some room to get rid of some of that. And then um, I'm very fortunate to have some really great cabinet space in my classroom. But some of my cabinet space is doubling both as like, I'm using it as storage for like my classroom library, for example, but I'm using the inside of the doors for class stuff. So I have my status of the class where students can write what book they're reading. It's on the outside of the cabinet doors. I have class rosters hanging on the inside of cabinet doors. I've got some other plans for some ways that I'm going to use the inside of these cabinet doors to also make as much use of vertical space as I possibly can. Um, I think that's a big thing is learning how to use whatever space is given to you in the most effective way. And I think we often overlook our vertical space. Uh, Bulletin boards, I think so often we use them as something that's nice to look at, which is great, but why aren't we using them for really important things and storage and that sort of thing? So I think if you can come up with creative solutions for using your wall space as storage, you know, it takes up none of your floor space and um, it can be a great way to store stuff, be it, you know, missing assignments, lost and found kind of things. Um, I think all kinds of different things that I think that you could use that, that kind of space for. Sure. And so as you're using all the spaces in an effective way, so essentially there's not any like dead space and it sounds like it's, a lot of like active learning being displayed and used. I mean, all the things that you've got going on, which which, which just sounds 
Um, so wonderful. I think one of the things that I see too when, when I talk and work with teachers or schools is they go, we want to have flexible seating and or we need to add a color here or this or that. But they're not really thinking about the instructional practices that go with it. Um, you know, it's easy to go buy some yoga balls and say, well, you know, I'm innovative. And they're not the only thing that I'm not downplaying that. Um, but as you have shifted, you've talked about silent zones, you've talked about how to use your cabinets, and you've talked about double uses of, of materials and things. How has that also like impacted like like the way you teach a class? Because I'm assuming by the way you're describing your room, it's also not just a sit and get because there would be no reason to have all these different modalities in your room and movement patterns and things like that. And so how do you how do you like ebb and flow between thinking about your learning space, like the physical space itself, and then I guess what I call the learning space, like the actual action of the classroom when kids are in there and you're doing your thing and they're doing their thing. Like how does that – how do you, you think through that? Because I think a lot of people want to. I don't think they ignore it, but they struggle with trying to manage that. And I think it's easier just to go, yeah, I bought 30 yoga balls, therefore I got it. Right. So I think the big thing I know with me is I did, I did a ton of research before moving into my choice seating. And I really thought about what do I want this space to do for my students? I want this, I want the utility. So it wasn't just something trendy. Like I don't, I don't have a lot of the trendy flexible seating choices. And like you said, there's nothing wrong with that, but it wasn't going to work for what I wanted. I wanted a space I wanted to create more of a library slash coffee shop kind of a feel because to me, that's where I get some of my best work done, where I can be really intensely focused. And sometimes you can be collaborative in those spaces and sometimes you can work solo. So whenever my room is set up and it's, sort of typical way. I've got collaborative areas where kids can be working together in groups. And I've got solo areas where a kid who just needs space to sit down and think can work as well. But then all of my seating is situated in such a way that it can be oriented towards the front of the room. So I'm going to do whole group instruction. You know, I might have like some seats that have their back to the board, but they're going to be seats that swivel. So the kids just have to turn towards the front of the room. Um, or like my, my, um, my futon is in a place where it's already facing towards the front of the room. So a lot of that is really careful design of where does a lot of your whole group instruction happen and how can you make it so the students can very easily without disrupting the class orient their seating so that they can do that. So, you know, I don't have big long tables with, you know, five, six, seven students with their back to the front of the room. If it's a seat with the back towards the front, it's either going to be able to swivel or very easily turn. Um, so students can either be facing the front of the room or even where anywhere I'm at, most of the seats they can easily adjust because I move around the room all the time or they can turn in towards each other and say, okay, let's work on this. Let's collaborate. So that was really what I was after. But at the same time, it also works great for, you know, individual work, like taking a test or a quiz or something like that. They can kind of situate themselves just like you would in a very full coffee shop where you need space to work, but there's a lot of other people there. You are able to just kind of create that space in there. So that's really what I wanted from the room. Um, it wasn't for me so much a thing of, I think a lot of teachers go with the flexible seating because of students who feel a need to, to fidget or to move. And I have some pieces that do that. But for me, it was all about what is my purpose? So my purpose in creating this space was I wanted something that could work whole group, collaborative and individually. And I think I've about got it where I want it to be. 
Yeah, that's awesome. And it, it sounds, I mean, like you're, you're spot on with so much. I, I follow a lot of the work by like Dr. Bob Dylan and some other people who always ask the question, like, what are the verbs in the space that you're looking to achieve? And it's not, I mean, like what you think about, you're talking about your purpose and this, I mean, it sounds like that's exactly what you're doing. And I think that's, that's so good as, I mean, to me, it's, it's this idea of being proactive, right? Like I'm going to be proactive in terms and intentional with my space. We're not maybe reactive. Like I have to have something because kids are fidgeting and maybe, maybe the big bigger issue is, I mean, there's some kids that just fidget all the time anyways, but maybe sometime the idea is where's the engagement, where's, how's the learning atmosphere at a place where maybe the kids don't need that as much if they're truly reaching the zone, you know, of, of, of that learning. And so, um, I, I love that, that, that you're kind of talking through that. And so as, as, as you figured this out, because I think the other thing that a lot of people struggle with is that idea of control. And so while these kids have these opportunities in your room to work solo or work collaboratively um, or swivel in their chair when it's whole group and then back to their small groups or things like that, um, has that always just been who you are naturally as an educator or how did you create, I mean, you're to, it sounds like you're to a point where you're pretty comfortable, like with the kids moving and situating themselves in ways that are best for the, for their learning. But mm-hmm. with that, obviously it comes like, sometimes you have to let go of the control, right? Which is why we still see so many classrooms and rows of desks because I can control that. So have you always been that way? Or is that something you had to work on? And, and, and what's, what's some advice or tips for those that, that want to do exactly what you're describing, but they just can't let go? Oh man, that is so tough. So <laughs> a lot of it, I think, is my personality. Just as a teacher, I've I've really always had that student-centered mindset. Um, I mean, I I do some traditional teaching. I still do some traditional lecture sometimes. I feel like it's balance in all things. Yes, yes. So I do. I definitely have some of the more traditional schooling methods. I definitely use those. But I also really balance that out a lot with student choice and. I feel like seventh grade is such a crucial time to teach kids how to make those good decisions. So I see it as an opportunity to not just teach them my academic content, but also to teach them those kinds of skills, like how to make those good decisions for themselves. And so I think a lot of it is a mindset shift. You really have to think about what is, I'm keep going back to purpose. What is the purpose in doing this? Um, So a, a lot of it, is that as far as advice for other teachers, I think a room like this is a big step. I think for some teachers who really need a lot of that control, I think you almost have to start smaller with things like offering choice and assignments and how are you going to show me your learning? Do you have to write this exact essay or can it be, can you choose your topic? Or maybe you're not going to do an essay. Maybe it's some other written format. So I think you have to start small with offering student choice and you just have to trust them a little bit, but your classroom management also really has to be on point or it does become a zoo. So that's um, a challenge as well. But I think whenever, if a teacher wants to get to the point where they can have a classroom where students are choosing where they sit every day and, and making those kinds of decisions, we have to teach our students how to make those decisions and we have to teach ourselves how to let go. And so I think it's about offering small opportunities for students to make choice and for us to step back and then gradually releasing even more responsibility to them. Um, 
up to where you're comfortable. So my students have had choice seating since day one because that was something that I was comfortable doing, but not every teacher is going to feel comfortable with that. A lot of teachers are still very, very comfortable with their seating chart and there's nothing wrong with that. Whenever my students um, fail to show me that they can make good choices with their seats, then we do have a seating chart for a while. And then they slowly realize, oh, I would like to earn back that privilege. And then that's how the discipline portion of it is kind of working is I'm just kind of as a ref and I'm saying, Hey, listen, you messed up. So here we go. Here's the consequence for that. So again, it's about teaching them to make those good choices. And that's how I'm able to kind of release that responsibility. And if they take it too far, I'm there to come right back in and grab it up and say, okay, here we go. We're going to try this again. Yeah. Yeah, man. Really, it sounds like just a whole entire learning environment of, of helping them develop agency and realizing that we all have the power to make decisions. We just have to realize that every decision comes with a consequence, whether positive or sometimes negative. And so I think that's, I mean, those are just those life skills, whether we're talking education or sports or, you know, relationships or whatever it is. I mean, we, those are all things that uh, we have to continue to develop and and work on because they don't go anywhere. Um, You know, as we grow up and and try to figure out this thing called life, as we uh, move through the different phases of it, you know, I want to be respectful of your time, but I know before we hit record, um, we were talking a little bit about how you just returned back from the Ron Clark Academy. So while this is a complete sidebar, I, I have to bring it up because, um, I mean, he's just an, an idol to so many educators. And if anybody's on Instagram or, or any of that stuff and just see the pictures from Ron Clark Academy, it's just like, oh, my gosh, it seems like uh, the Disney World for education and so much has gone out of that. So um, I do want to ask about it because we're talking learning space. We're talking about all these great things, and I'm sure you probably saw tons of examples of, of learning and agency in that place and so um if you're if you're up for it can you talk a little bit about i mean i know you you must have went there for a pd i don't remember exactly what the pd was and and what were some of your your big takeaways that you brought back you know i mean as we're kind of thinking about this bigger picture of of, of learning environments and, and and landscapes and things like that i mean what you were there i've never been there mm-hmm. um so I, I i'd love to hear about it Yeah, great. So uh, it was an amazing experience. So they offer um, single day and two day PD, which we we did a single day. And actually, that's one of the things I love so much about my school is that's become a thing that they really encourage is for all of their teachers to get to Ron Clark in this middle school. So we we all try to get there. So almost everyone who works here, like teachers, have been to Ron Clark Academy. Um, And it's a big part of like our our culture in this building. because we're a building that uses house systems and that kind of thing. So we do a lot of that. So I was so ready to go. And I'll tell you the same thing that I told my students when I got back as I, I was like, guys, I was lied to. I thought that this school was going to be this ooey gooey school where everyone dances all day long and they mess around all day long. And like, it's a paradise school where nobody messes up and it's going to be perfect. And I was lied to because those are the toughest teachers I have ever met in my life. That was the biggest thing that really surprised me was I really was not expecting the teachers to be so a disciplinary tough, uh, the academic rigor was through the roof. And of course that's like their foundational stuff, but I really just thought I wouldn't even see that. I really just thought that they already had their discipline. So on lockdown that you wouldn't even have an opportunity to see them get onto somebody about something. And that wasn't the case. Um, man, they are just, they were really tough. And I think what I learned from that is 
it's okay to turn up the heat whenever it comes to behavior, um, because it is so evident that those kids love their teachers and those teachers love those kids. They would do anything for them. Um, but a lot of that comes out of them being so tough. So I had lunch with one of the students at Ron Clark, you know, the kids get to eat with you whenever you're there. So I talked to a seventh grader and this, I asked the student, you know, do you think your teachers here are tough? And he laughed and he said, yes. And he said, but they're good tough. And I was like, well, what does that mean? What does good tough look like? And he said, well, I think a lot of teachers come here and think that our teachers are really mean to us, but they're not really mean. They just care a whole, whole lot. Mm -hmm. And like, it's so evident to the kids that their teachers are so hard on them because they want them to be so successful and they really celebrate accomplishment there. You know, Ron Clark's big thing is not everybody gets a cookie. So, um, whenever somebody does get a cookie, whenever somebody does something amazing, they just really celebrate that in a big way. And it was just a really awesome environment. Like you said, teaching kids like, you know, with agency and that sort of thing, you can see that they are really working on handing the kids responsibility for their learning, responsibility for their actions, for their behavior, but they are very, very structured in the way that they do that. So um, it is not, Wade King, one of the teachers there, was talking about how so many people come in and they think, well, that's just a school that dances a lot. <laughs> and they do dance a lot. But he said, but there's so much more going on here. And that was just so incredibly evident. I just think besides the amazingly beautiful building and all of their resources, I think you could take those 10 educators and put them in any kind of a situation. And I think in four years, they'd have a school turned around mm. because they just have it figured out. They really know how to balance the creativity and the fun and the passion and the enthusiasm with the discipline and the rigor and the backbone of it all. So it was just really impressive to watch them and to listen to them and to see what the kids had to say about, about their experiences there. I bet. I bet. I think, I mean, I think the one of those key things now I'm even more, um, motivated to go get there and see it myself is just that idea of like that tough love but knowing when to be hard on a kid and I think sometimes we think to be hard means we have to be like mean all the time as more for control as opposed to for like you just said the right reasons to help them be a better person you know and that that balancing act which is which is hard I mean that's hard as teaching it's I mean I've got three of my own kids at home and man I, I struggle with that every single day as well am I being too tough not tough enough and I mean it's just all the I mean that's just trying to figure it out and I think that's that's so important for people to hear you know especially in a day of social media where a quick little soundbite or video clip you know makes it look like it's just you know, party time every single day. And I mean, those are the things that people take notice of. Um, but there's so much more to that. There's, there's a progression of why they get to that point where they're able to do those things. Right. And I think that's uh, a, a big takeaway for any of us. As we think about the culture of our own buildings of what is our culture like for our teachers as, as well as for our students. And I'll tell you what, it was, it was so crazy when we left. I mean, you know, we were just riding this like teacher high, like you said, yeah. you know, it's like Disney world for teachers. But at the same time, I had this really strange nagging feeling like I, um, I was a little bit bothered because I realized that I had been doing some of my students a pretty serious disservice. And what I mean by that is, you know, I have seventh graders, which that has been challenging switching from high school to seventh grade because they do require more of yeah. you. They require more structure and they require more help and they need more of you. Um, but I mean, 
even with that mindset, I've had some students this year that haven't been doing so hot and I've been letting them skate by because, you know, the mentality whenever you've got those older kids and even now I'm not so sure it's the right one is, well, they got to learn sometime, but you know, these are kids. And I think sometimes we forget about that. Like literally their brains are not developed enough to treat lot to take logic in before pleasure. So they're going to do things that are fun before they're going to do things that make logical sense. And I think we as adults forget that. And so I felt really bad because I was like, man, they're holding every single one of those students accountable. And I have not been doing that as well as I could be doing that uh, behaviorally and academically. So this week, my my students would tell you, oh, my gosh, Mrs. Richardson turned up the heat um, on us. <laughs> and I think that's so true because I was like, I've got to do more. But they really appreciate it. Like I had a lot of kids who came up and were like, I know you're being harder on us because you care. And I'm really glad that you're doing some of these things. So uh, we'll see how it goes. But I mean, that was something that I brought back with me is you have to really, really work at the caring thing. And it's tiring. It's like, it's so hard for us to do. We have so many different hats that we wear all day long. But if ultimately our job is to get these students to the next step in their lives, we've got to care so much about them. And we've got to do what it takes to get them to that next step and also teach them how to be good human beings because they're our future. Yeah. I love that. I love that. And I think that's a perfect idea, I think, to kind of wrap our conversation up on. I mean, that idea that we have to care so much for them and let them know. Um, because unfortunately, a lot of kids, they may not be able to identify too many adults that they can actually claim care for them. And I think that becomes a more and more of a, of a, of a growing problem across the, the national landscape um, in our society in general. And I think, you know, as, as you're talking, I'm going, well, what a great full day PD for you that you're able to go back and, and rethink your practices and how many times do we sit in PD or an in-service or a training and we're disengaged and we go back and it doesn't motivate us to change and so you know one of those things as you're talking I'm going well don't beat yourself up you know like don't beat yourself up because you're now you're moving into practice and that's what it's all about because we, we can always get better it's always like I always when I see my students for like my first couple of years the first thing I do even though they're, they're grown adults I'm always like man I'm so sorry <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry. And they're like, no, you were awesome. I'm like, no, no, I really, no, I really, I really wasn't. I'm sorry. I mean, I mean, so it's this, it's, it's that constant progression. And I think that's that's the key in this job too to avoid that burnout is to constantly be challenging our own selves to to to, to get better and, and and definitely try to improve to do what's best for those for, for the kids in our classroom. It it caused me to reflect more on what I do than I think any PD I have been to before. I, I now I need to go back and do the two day because <laughs> if I got that much out of one day, I really am wanting to see what happens on that second day. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, hey, as people want to find out more about you and what you're doing and 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 learn more about your classroom and things like that, where where is it that they can go and find out more about you and what you do and your and in your journey? Um, I know you've got stuff on social media, um, and so as I was doing a lot of background, there's tons of great stuff out there. So where can people get in contact with you? Um, so, okay, uh, my blog is in and out. It really isn't particularly active during the school year because I'm so busy doing other things, but um, I'm hoping to kind of reinvigorate that somewhat. So that is at um, www.eatrightteach.com. Um, another good place to check out what we're doing was, is going to be on my Instagram account, which is also eat, right, teach. 
Um, I am on Twitter, but I don't tweet very often. So really the best places to probably reach out to me would be Eat Right, Teach blog um, or on the Instagram account. That's probably my two best. Awesome. Sylvia, this has been absolutely phenomenal. I know we started off, I, I reached out to you to, to talk to Clutter Learning, and I think we had such even a more robust, uh, rich conversation about just learning and education in general. So I can't thank you enough. I know you've had a full day of teaching, and you still bring a lot of passion and enthusiasm to the conversation, which which tells me how, how uh, lucky your kids are to uh, have you as an educator, and I just can't thank you enough for your time. Oh, thank you so much. I love being able to talk, talk shop. It's one of my favorite things. <laughs> awesome. Thank you. Thank you.